Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. I'm going to be reading the first 13 verses. The Gospel of Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, this is the Word of God. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents. And have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty, holy God, we are struck by the gravity of these words. These words that speak to us and to our own day and remind us that all of our lives, all of our history, all of life is hurtling forward toward an end point, toward that day of judgment. Though Heavenly Father, as we have just celebrated in the Lord's Supper, we thank you that there has been a foretaste of that judgment that has been brought forth into the present, even in the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, where the wrath that is to come came forward and landed on your Son, even Jesus Christ, in the place of sinners. O Lord, we rejoice and give you great thanks that you have provided a way for us to find refuge from this wrath to come. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy to us, even vindicated in the resurrection from the dead, that you would be so kind to us. We thank you for bringing us all here, that we can hear your word, that we can hear from you. Oh Lord, we pray that you would cause our church to continue to grow in the fear of the Lord, that we would have a sense of the beauty and goodness and freeness and love and liberty of the gospel. Lord, we pray for many here who are searching, who are inquiring about the things of God. We pray, Lord, you would do a mighty work and you would save them. Lord, for many of us as we face 
the trials and temptations of this life, the, the hostility of our culture against the gospel and against Jesus Christ, we pray that you would give us both joy and courage, that we would be able to speak the word, even speaking the truth in love. Lord, we pray that you would raise us up that way, that we would be witnesses in this crooked and perverse generation. We do continue to pray for this land. We pray for revival across Canada. We pray that people, instead of trusting in the false gods of secularism, would turn away from them and would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray for all of our politicians and bureaucrats and government officials at the federal and provincial and municipal levels. We pray especially as we continue to pray most Sundays. We pray for Justin Trudeau. We pray, Lord, that he would repent of his sins and be saved. We pray that his attempts at wickedness would be thwarted and that he would turn and submit himself to Jesus the King. We pray the same for Danielle Smith. We pray that she would stop her rebellion against you and that she would turn and be saved. We do thank you, Lord, for some of the policies of these different governments and for Daniel Smith's government. We pray that righteousness would prevail, but Lord, we do pray that she would be saved. And for Jody Gondek, our own mayor, we do pray for her that your mercy would abound to her. Oh Lord, that she would flee from the wrath to come. We pray that you would help her, that you would cause her to walk in paths of righteousness rather than paths of wickedness. Oh Lord, we pray that you would do that powerful work. But above all, Lord, in the midst of this, we know that the real power is through your word and in and through your church. So we pray, Lord, that you would continue to build up the churches. We pray for Grace Cochran this morning. We pray for Pastor Josh Carey that you would sustain him in difficult trials right now. Give him your grace. We thank you that the gospel advances, even as many churches were represented yesterday in the men's breakfast. We pray for the Redemption Churches, Redemption North, Redemption South, Trevor Peacock, and Quentin Whitford. We pray for Fairview Baptist and Tim Stevens. We pray for these many churches that we are laboring with arm in arm, and we want to see the advance of the gospel that sinners would be saved in this city. So Lord, help us. Help us to be not bad witnesses, but good witnesses. We know we are witnesses of these things. Empower us, even through your word, that we would live in light of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in the time that remains, if I can just jump right in, I would say that this disciple in Mark chapter 13 expresses a sentiment that's very much like our own day. This man who said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And, and it's just so much, it's so similar to how we are today. Because many, many people today are, are caught up in having their attention fixed on all kinds of things that don't matter. Sort of a, we have sort of a, a spiritual attention deficit disorder. Looking at everything, having our attention drawn to every shiny thing that doesn't matter. Look at the pretty rocks. Scroll your eyes onto this, Jesus, he's saying. Click on this, Jesus. This is really important. Look at this. Look at these wonderful stones. These wonderful buildings. Sure. The rocks may have been pretty. The building, Herod's rebuilt temple, I'm sure it was spectacular. Very beautiful. But it was so trivial compared to the presence of the Messiah. He's right there. 
And so is that all you're going to ask him? Look at these cool rocks, Jesus. This doesn't even make any sense. And yet, did it occur to this man? Or I would say to our generation, does it occur to us that Jesus has bigger things in mind? Things that we should be asking about? Things about Jesus coming and His rule and reign? Or even as we just celebrated in the supper now, not only His first coming, but an awareness that He is coming again. Of course, verse 2, Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That is not what that guy was looking for. He was looking for Jesus to say, yeah, yeah, isn't that cool? What, you're, what you think is cool, I think is cool. And we live our lives like that. We want Jesus to be interested in what we are interested in. Rather than us being interested in what Jesus is interested in. And Jesus is basically saying, you see this temple that all of Judaism revolves around, it's, gone, it's coming down. It's, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be thrown down. That certainly is not what that guy was expecting. And just like today, we don't like bad news. We don't like to hear bad news. You know, preaching judgment generally is not a growth strategy for churches. As we've seen, there's lots of churches in town that, you know, that, that think that. They, they don't want to preach judgment because they won't grow their churches. But Jesus' comment about the destruction of the temple, in saying that, He was setting up what is one of the most apocalyptic messages of the whole Bible. And so He's He's confronting this spiritual attention deficit disorder. But he's also then, secondly, going to give a sign. The sign of the times. And thirdly, he's going to prepare us by telling us not to be anxious. And that's basically my outline, because you might have it in your bulletin. Now this message that I'm preaching today is part, I, I think it's two parts, so I'll conclude next Sunday. But it is an apocalyptic message. By apocalyptic, I mean from that Greek word, apocalypto. It's the idea of something that is revealed that was previously hidden. It's revealed, it's usually revealed in a final judgment or in an ultimate deliverance. So something that was covered that then is revealed. It's a revelation, and that's why you have the book of Revelation. It is the apocalypse of John. It is this revealing of what was hidden. Now, Jesus here in Mark 13 has just revealed something. The destruction of the temple, which Jesus predicted in 33 A.D. about, happened then in 70 A.D. He had revealed it beforehand. And the temple was destroyed, we know from history, in 70 A.D. by the Romans. So, as Jesus is talking to this disciple, the pretty stones were only going to last for about 37 years until they'd be used for Roman pavement. And then actually a few years later, those stones were going to be carried away to build a siege ramp so that the Romans could attack the Jewish rebels at Masada and slaughter them. Well, actually, they committed mass suicide in the end in 73 A.D. Kind of the end of major Jewish resistance from that point. Wonderful stones indeed. Look at the pretty stones. Yeah, they're going to be Roman pavement. So what are the wonderful stones of our world that may be thrown down soon? Uh, it's, it's almost impossible for us to think that 
our comfortable way of life could be thrown down. We just refuse to think about it. We, we live in denial that that's even possible. We don't allow for the fact that there is a God in heaven who could bring judgment on the land and our land would deserve it. It's not even on our radar. And more importantly, what are you going to do when the judgment comes soon? What are you going to do? Where will you stand? Where is your attention? Do you have a spiritual ADD right now? Are you distracted by the pretty stones and the clicks? And you're actually forgetting about your soul and about the true God. Are you dealing with reality, the real things? Or are you distracted by the pretty stones that could be gone? And so my hope is, as we go through Mark 13 in the next two Sundays, that this is really a wake-up call in a way that we're not used to. A wake-up call to get our attention. To get it off of the things of this world that are so passing and get us back on to Jesus Christ and His eternal purposes. What is His plan? What is He interested in? What is He about? And so, we read then, verses 3 and 4, that our attention must be directed by Jesus Christ. And so, he sat, verse 3, he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Peter and James and John and Andrew, so that inner circle of disciples, they asked him privately. And they have that, you know, that amazing question. Tell us, verse 4, when? When? When will all these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? This is, this when question gets us to then the title of this message and, and these next two messages. The sign of the times. What's the sign? It's like that old song. You know, sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. I won't sing it. I'm guessing, though, unless you're, you know, you flirt with the conspiracy theories, I'm guessing you aren't even looking for signs. You, you just think we just keep rolling on and there is nothing to see that would indicate that God has something that's going to happen. But even the sign of the times, what these guys were asking, that's stuff that matters, not pet rocks or pretty stones, but signs. Now, I will admit, when we get into talking about signs, signs of the times, even though judgment isn't popular, signs and dates are really popular. So, rather than put a list of this together, I just, I just, did, a, just did a search even this morning before I came to church, just to see what I could find really quick. I checked a website, and it told me that Jesus is coming back on March 5th. 2014. Oh, whoops. It's a great way to raise money. Just, just set a date. Say, I've got these calculations. This is why Jesus is coming back. And you just rake in the money until that date passes. And then you've got to do something else. Come up with a new business plan. The word sign is the Greek word semeon, which refers to a symbol. A symbol which confirms or authenticates a message or a messenger. So it's a symbol, something that happens or something that is seen, a symbol that confirms or authenticates a message or messenger. Now, we're going to find out in the next message in verse 32 that no one knows the day or the hour, verse 32. 
Verse 34, you don't know when. So don't bother with the date setting. It just it, it doesn't work. And yet, we can know the signs. It's interesting that this word for sign is then the same root word for a word in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, which is translated as making known. It's actually that God is making things known by signs in Revelation 1.1. Jesus' whole ministry, all of His miracles, all that He did, has sometimes been called the book of signs in John's Gospel, in John chapter 2 through chapter 12 in John's Gospel. The book of signs, just showing all these different miracles that He performed that authenticated Jesus as both the Messiah and His message. But it's not just a miracle that these guys were asking for. They were looking for a sign, a miraculous symbol, which would reveal what had been previously hidden. That it would uncover the message that they didn't know before. It was, you know, the the message they wanted to know about was the message that we all want to know about. What is the future going to be like? When will the future arrive? Like that's like really that is what we all want to know. You know, they they said verse 4, tell us when. When? When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now you're sitting there, and my guess is even the questions that are on your own mind are to do with when. Wouldn't you like to know? How long do I have to live? You know, when am I going to die? When am I going to get married? Who am I going to get married to? Who will my kids marry? When will they get married? When will the interest rates go down? When will the price of everything go down? Go to Costco and it'll give you a heart attack. We all want to know the future. But the apocalyptic future is the most important future to know. It's the future of mankind and the future destinies of people, whether for heaven or for hell. So what's going to happen to the world? What is the sign of the times? Well, Jesus addresses the attention question by unpacking the sign of the times. And he says first, verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, this is only the start, he said, see that no one leads you astray. It's very interesting that he starts there. Because you see, when... Even before we get to the actual sign, Jesus has to warn them about the interpretation of the sign. That's the great danger. It's in the interpretation. See, it's very easy to misunderstand the meaning of the sign. So Jesus is going to warn his disciples and us that there is danger in being led astray. There's danger for you. There's danger for me. So in the first of a, of a series of commands here, Jesus orders them. He says, see that no one leads you astray. So see, the, the word is the same word for watch out. It, it's the same word that Jesus had used, and we looked at it last week, in describing the scribe. Beware. Watch out. You know, sometimes... I know Christians can be, they're trying to obey these things and they can get accused of being heresy hunters. And there are some people who I do think are too fixated on spotting errors and they don't actually love the truth. But at the same time, Jesus commands each one of us to watch out. Why does He have to say it? Because You and me are, you know, we're just kind of wandering through life and we're not paying attention. Because it's easy for us to be led astray. Watch out. See that no one leads you astray. 
The Greek word for lead astray is planao. It's the idea of a plan, a scheme. A scheme to get you off course, to get you off track, or literally to wander. In the course of my ministry, I've seen many people who have been led astray and they start to wander. How many people throughout history have wandered off track specifically by a fixation on signs and then misinterpreting them? They've misinterpreted them. Every heretical religion that sprang from Christianity has features of following schemes that take people off track in bad interpretations of signs. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, two-by-twos, British Israelism, black Hebrew Israelites, and of course Islam, and we just keep going on and on. Those are just the ones that have sprung out of Christianity. There is a great threat of false teaching, falsely interpreting the signs of the times. Again, like I say, that's the way you make money as a false teacher, is you talk about the signs and talk about the interpretation of the signs, you set dates, and you can just rake the cash in. But it's all false. Specifically, though, what happens? Jesus says in verse 6, he explains it for us. He says, many, many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. See, this is the epitome of falsehood. Jesus makes it clear. And, and, and first off, you see that these are, these are people in the church or in Christendom who are re- representing themselves as Jesus or acting in Jesus' name. This is one of the reasons why Protestants have historically viewed the Roman Catholic Pope as the Antichrist, not because they wish to hate Catholics for no reason, but because the Pope claims to be the vicar of Christ, essentially standing in the place of, that's what vicar means, standing in the place of Christ in his name. Now, some will go so far as to identify themselves as Christ, saying, I am He. And you've got to ask yourself, even of Jews today, Jews today are still looking for a Messiah, but have rejected Jesus Christ. Is there any reason to think that they won't believe in a deceiving Messiah? Only a miracle of God can prevent them from being deceived by a false Christ, because they're looking for one. It's a false Christ that they're looking for. This warning against false interpreters of signs goes back to the book of Deuteronomy. You can turn there and see Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. This is a very important section of Scripture. Deuteronomy 13. Verses 1 to 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, notice, if it comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Yeah, but it came true. Or it it came to pass. No, you should not listen to it. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandment and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet... Or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way, noticed, to be led astray, to leave 
the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. End of the quote. So as in ancient Israel, Jesus was simply teaching about that threat in his own day. And of course, the evil needed to be purged from their midst, or else, as Jesus said back in Mark 13, verse 6, such a person will lead many astray. Do I have to emphasize the many? 1.9 billion deceived by Muhammad and Islam. 1.1 billion deceived by the many messiahs and gods of Hinduism. 1.1 billion deceived by the message of Nacho Libre's sidekick. I believe in science. If you don't know Nacho Libre, I don't care. It's, just, it's a throwaway. It's a secularist. I don't know. Maybe you didn't catch that. Christianity at 2.3 billion or 31% is still the largest religion in the world. We can all forget that. However, if we ask all those in that number, the very simple question we ask in their Sunday school classes, what is the gospel? I think the positive answer would come from only a sliver of that big number. The many, many can be led astray. So we're trying to correct then by this passage, we're trying to correct our attention deficit. And as we see Jesus' initial warning about false interpreters of the sign of the times, Jesus unpacks the sign further with another command. He says, verse 7, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. He says the command is do not be alarmed. Now, you might be one of those laid-back people. I mean, there are some of you out there. You know, as the people, you know, you've got that palm tree sticker in your back window, and it says, no bad days. And you're just kind of, you're just chill about everything, You're one of those people. Why should you be worried? But it's the beginning of verse 7. That actually is what gets anybody alarmed when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. I I mean, for most of us in Canada, our involuntary participation in war, it seems unthinkable. That war would come to our doorstep, it seems unthinkable. War coming to us in Canada? Everybody likes us. But what if wars or rumors of wars came to your household? Would you be alarmed? Probably. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe you're alarmed already. You, you've got the adrenaline and the cortisol and the dopamine and you're, it's pumping constantly and you're just freaked out all the time. That's why Jesus commands us and says, do not be alarmed. You know, the thing that surprised me about the Christians in the underground churches in China that I visited a number of years ago, it was how happy they were. And they could talk about real persecution, torture, impossible government regulations, destroyed church buildings, all that stuff. Many losses and crosses as the Communist Party targeted them. But they obeyed the Lord when he said, do not be alarmed. There was no sense of panic. Only peace. Sure, they could get anxious, but they refused to stay anxious. They just, they just didn't. They'd get alarmed, but they refused to stay alarmed. And that's the point. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm struggling not to be alarmed. I hear rumors of Western war with Russia before November. I've got three coming military-age males in my home. Like, it's easy for me to be alarmed. But Jesus said, do not be alarmed. He said, this must take place. 
but the end is not yet. We might think that the old and bitter are leading the young and stupid into Armageddon, but Jesus said these wars and rumors of wars must take place, but the end is not yet. The end, the Greek word is telos. The end is not yet. There is a a teleology to the world's history. A design where history is moving towards a purposeful, appointed end. That telos is the end. The telos of the second coming of Christ, what we just celebrated as we remembered at the end of the Lord's Supper. The last judgment, the new heavens and new earth. That end is not yet, according to Jesus. But in the meantime, he says in verse 8, he says, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. He says these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I don't have to tell any of the mothers here about birth pains because I haven't experienced it, but I mean, you've experienced it. I mean, they call it, what do they call it today? They're called contractions. A pregnant mother starts having those tightenings and she gets thinking, I'm going to have a baby. But of course, it's only the beginning of labor. And even the dads, you know, they've watched. It's the beginning. We've got a long ways to go. A labor that can be long and very difficult. And that's how world history works. Everything in our 60-second news cycle is portrayed as the end of the world. But Jesus says, it's just the beginning. Which brings me then to the third point, which includes a couple of commands to be on guard and don't be anxious in verses 9 to 11. Verse 9, but be on your guard. Why does he say this? Notice the guarantees. Be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake. And what is the purpose of it all? To bear witness before them. That's the purpose. To bear witness before them. I think we all want to advocate for change. We all want to do our part to turn the ship of our disastrous culture around. But the truth is, the ship is sinking. It's sinking. And we are bearing witness to say, here's the life raft. Yeah, the ship is sinking. I'm not polishing brass on the Titanic. The ship is sinking, but here's a life raft. Namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take The life raft. So each occasion where there are miscarriages of justice, where there is falsehood, where there's injustice of any any type, these are actual opportunities to bear witness. In Shakespeare, he said, all the world is a stage, but the Bible teaches that all the world is a courtroom. It's all a courtroom, and we are constantly bearing witness. Bearing witness to the rule of Jesus Christ. Bearing witness to His message of pardon for rebels. Those rebels against His reign. There is pardon. We bear witness that, hey, there's a pardon available. So Jesus obligates this witness, this marturion. Sounds like martyr, doesn't it? This marturion. In Greek. That is our witness. See, when you go to a wedding, or you don't go to a wedding, you are a witness. When you vote, you're a witness. When you go to church and not brunch this morning, you're a witness. Everything you do is a witness, and as the old preachers used to tell me, It's not a question of whether or not you're a witness. It's whether or not you're a good one or a bad one if you're a Christian believer. Everybody sees your witness. People will say, they'll justify all kinds of stuff. Oh, well, 
I want to kind of get in and kind of live like these worldly people as a witness. Oh yeah, you're a witness all right, but you're not a good one. Jesus said, verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. He obligates our witness to the gospel to the nations. As he said later, just before his ascension, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? My witnesses. My martyria. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Whenever the end comes, the gospel will have gone out to all the nations. The gospel of sins forgiven among the Chinese, or righteousness imputed among the Ukrainians, or eternal life for Albertans, like that, that gospel will have gone out. And the courtroom witnesses will have spoken at that point. We will have declared that this gospel is true. And notice this gospel, it says, will be what? Will be proclaimed. It must first be proclaimed. See, in our egalitarian age, we tend to diminish anybody who speaks at us. You know, we think that if communication is one way, it's not equal. Right? That's why you're here, but you're just, you know, you're just wondering about that. How come you don't get to participate and have your say? This is one way. You want to have a dialogue. Maybe we should set up tables and we just talk about this stuff. That would be an egalitarian approach. Jesus said that the gospel is to be proclaimed. Better, to be preached. Caruso is the Greek word. I mean, our church, obviously, we value preaching, but many churches, they want to lower preaching to the level of performance. It's just not the same. Or they elevate activism above preaching. We've got to do something. Well, there's things to be done, but you can't elevate activism above preaching. The charismatic event, that is this Caruso, this preaching event. When you gather here, something happens supernaturally. I can't explain it. But this is the charismatic event of preaching. And in this preaching... The good news of the King is brought down upon every soul here. It is brought down upon you, and it calls each of us to swear allegiance to His flag, to submit to His Lordship, and to surrender to His allegiance. That's why you come for the preaching. Because something happens here. It's not just an information dump. Now, if you are alarmed, and you're trying not to be alarmed with what's happening in the world, maybe have you thought about how you could support and promote gospel preaching in our generation? It's maybe a good thing to think about if, if we need proclamation happening. But this gospel, this gospel to be proclaimed is the basis of our hope, obviously. Jesus said in verse 11, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand. What you're to say, don't be anxious about that, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You see, this is the great confidence that believers have. You're not alone, right? You're not alone. You think, how am I going to face this if I get canceled? You're not alone. The Lord is with you. Jesus said He would be with you always to the end of the age. And here He says that believers will be helped by the Holy Spirit to speak in witness in literal courtrooms or in the courtroom of public opinion or maybe just in the courtroom of your friend group. What am I going to say? What, what should I say to my friends? You rely on seeking the Lord and trusting the Holy Spirit to give you words to say. Don't be anxious, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit working through you. What an amazing provision for Christians. And we're going to need it. 
Because Jesus said in verse 12, brother will deliver brother over to death, the father is child, and children rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know the thing I think that most of us can't imagine that's really hard for us? The thing that most of us, I think, are surprised by? You're surprised that anybody anywhere would hate you. You're a nice person. Why would people, why would people hate me? Why, why is that? And that disillusionment, there's a lot of people that leave the church because they don't like the thought that somebody's hating them. So they, they just disassociate from Christianity and the church. But as John recorded Jesus saying, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, John 15, 18. It's actually about what their relationship or lack of relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, is it any wonder right now that we're having a battle over the rights of parents over children? And there's other adults that are betraying children that are not their own, and all this hatred is abounding for these Christians who would say that parents have authority. But, but the thing is, it's not just the politics. Christian believers will be hated by all for my name's sake. It is ultimately about Jesus. It isn't about policy. It isn't about, oh, well, you know, the church has done bad things in the past. That is not the reason at the bottom. We all have our sins. We confess our sins. That is not the reason. That is not the reason why people aren't coming to church. We don't, it's, not the, it's not that we don't have good enough public relations. That is not the reason. It is ultimately about Jesus. People hate Jesus in their hearts. People don't want to submit to Jesus, and they hate that he demands them to do so. So they hate the closest representative of Jesus that they can find. They hate you. They hate you. And I mean, they might be polite. They might have a veneer. But deep down, they hate you because they don't like having their sins being convicted. Thankfully, Jesus concludes even this section by saying, but the one who endures to the end, will be saved. Yes, you. You surrender to endure. You believe to persevere. You, you trust to overcome. You rely to finish well. That's what it is. We endure by believing. Not believing once and never believing again. We believe and we keep on believing we keep on keeping on in weakness and imperfection. And when that person believes in that way, they endure and show that they are saved, they're being saved, and they will be saved. They're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, but their true living faith shows by their continued believing. In 33 AD, nobody thought that their temple could be thrown down. In 2023 AD, nobody can think that our nation or a society can change but the question is the one who endure whatever's coming will be the one who is believing in jesus christ so i close with this just a couple of quick practical applications just to reiterate be on guard and don't be anxious first some of you really follow your favorite commentators youtubers tiktokers i don't know what it is you really, you really are listening to them. And you've got to be aware. You have to be aware. The best of men are men at best. You need to be aware. And you, it's a command, don't be anxious. You know, Paul said not to be anxious, but to cast your cares on the Lord. Peter said, knowing that he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing, Paul said, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. Don't be anxious. The anxiety comes, but stop by looking to the Lord. So be on guard and don't be anxious. Secondly, know what time it is. 
Where are we in God's apocalyptic program? We're in the last days, which has been around since the New Testament. So if we've been around, the last days have been around for 2,000 years, we need to prepare for long, inter- long endurance as well as the imminent return of Christ. You've got to be prepared for both. But thirdly, Jesus gave this Mount of Olives discourse to prepare his people. He doesn't want us unprepared. And that's just, the, that's just the question I close with. Are you prepared to meet your maker? Are you prepared? Is your soul prepared? Or are you wandering? Are you drifting? Are you being led astray? And I would just urge you this morning to turn to this Christ in view of the sign of the times. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask that you'd open our eyes, that you'd awaken us to your rule and reign and your cosmic purposes and design for history and for each day, even this day. Lord, even as Luther said, we were reminded there's only two days on your calendar, this day and that day, and we pray that you would help us to live in light of both under your sovereign, gracious hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as we worship together. Please stand. How can he hold us fast in the end? As Revelation 21 tells us, this is how the story ends. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's how he can hold us fast. He's there. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there will be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Do you see that he will hold you fast? Are you ready to meet your maker? If you're not ready to meet him, then come, come talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. But don't leave if you're not ready. Why not be ready? You need to be ready. And if you are, you will know then this comfort as he holds you fast. Go in peace. You're dismissed.